When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? It's a beautiful spring day, and I'm so excited to share this episode with you on this episode of the Cast. I discuss the work of Robert Waller, one of the most famous literary Iowans of all time. Of course, he wrote the book, The Bridges of Madison County, a book about middle-aged love and longing um, set in a farmhouse in Madison County, Iowa in the 1960s. The book sold over 60 million copies and permanently transformed the literary landscape of Iowa. I discussed the work of Robert Waller as part of an ongoing discussion we're going to have about the meaning of the future of liberal arts education in the United States. Uh, we're going to do an episode with Brad Lund today. He's a good friend of mine who does a lot of things incredibly well. He does math, music, arts, science. He's a lawyer as well. Um, we discussed liberal arts, and we're going to discuss that next week in terms of the relevance of a liberal arts education moving on into the future. Um, through the lens of his own son now, who's looking at colleges. So I think a lot of you will find that useful. But that got me to thinking about one of the most impactful thinkers and and doers in my life, and that is Robert Waller. I share a personal moment that I had with Mr. Waller in the early 90s. Um, He came and spoke to my high school class in Decorah, Iowa, at the invitation of my high school teacher, Kim Bosworth. Well, Mrs. Bosworth, if you're out there. The moment totally transformed my life in terms of what a life of active living looks like, active leisure, soaking up all the various domains of life that Robert Waller did so well. I don't focus a lot on Bridges of Madison County. I focus primarily on his work, The Turning of 50, a book that was, an essay that was from his book, One Road is Good Enough, that he wrote in 1989, three years before Bridges of Madison County came out. Um, And so... I now am 46, closer to 50 than I am to 40. Uh, so it really meant a lot to me, and I hope many of you at sort of my stage of life, or maybe you've passed or, or before that, will find it useful as well. He was an incredible person. I think so much to share about the meaning of life. He talked about uh, writing the obituary of his own life, and he passed away in 2017. And I think a lot of you will find that sort of interesting um, in terms of how he sort of contemplated and dealt with his own mortality. And he dealt with it by, on a beautiful spring day like today, going out and grabbing his camera, walking the country roads of Iowa and thinking about magical moments with lost loves, like a woman named Francesca. Incredible guy. He spoke from the heart. He was so inspiring to me. He did change the direction of my life. So I hope that you find this episode of the Rockney cast as, as much as interesting and useful to you as I had in, put, in putting it on. So much gratitude for all of you who put the time in to listen to the show. I hope you enjoy it and find it useful. Give me feedback at rockneycast.gmail.com if you have any feedback. Um, and we're going to put all the books that we highlight on here in rockneycool.com in the show notes. So check out this episode of the Rockney Cast. I think you'll find it really good. It is the episode that I really had fun putting on. It's Robert Waller, One Road is Good Enough on the Turning of 50 on this episode of the Rockney Cast. What's up, you guys? 
Wow. Next week, we got a great show on store for you. I'm going to be interviewing my friend Brad Lund about the future of the liberal arts. He's incredibly fascinating. He's not only a good friend of mine, but um, he's interested in so many different things. And we're going to explore the future of a liberal arts education. Um, and that got me thinking, especially because his child is going to be attending um, college next year, and they're in the process of looking for a new school. And so we're going to do that next week. But for this week, I wanted to focus on um, someone in the liberal arts that has really changed my life. And his name is Robert Waller. Um, you know, Robert Waller, the Bridges of Madison County guy. Um, he has, he's a guy who made an incredible impact on late 20th century literature. And I have a personal connection to him. And of course, he's from Iowa. Um, now, if you would ask Robert Waller um, who, who Rockney Cole is, you wouldn't know that. But I wanted to share personal story of Robert Waller. I want to share a book that I've read of Robert Waller's. It's really good. And I wanted to give a little bit of an overview of why I think he's so important. And then he's not just sort of total bullshit. I mean, he is legit. Um, I know probably literature professors are probably like, oh, Robert Waller, oh, he's not any good at all. But he is. He's a great writer. He's accused of schmaltz and all this stuff. I think you need to look deeper and see who he really was. So in this particular podcast, I'm going to go over uh, Robert Waller, his life, um, the book that I'm reading right now, um, his thoughts on turning 50, which of course means a lot to me because I'm only four years away from 50, closer to 50 than I am to 40 now. I'm getting to be legit, legit middle age. Um, the Bridges of Madison County, and I think why that book is so important. And what we can learn from Robert Waller in terms of the art of living, because he had it figured out. And what I love about Robert Waller is, is that his famous book, Bridges of Madison County, came out when he was 53. Um, he was already very professionally successful, not as much as an artist. He was sort of a regional writer prior to that time. He wrote some essays, but nothing remotely approaching the magnitude of what happened to the Bridges of Madison County when he was 53 years old. So I think that gives um, we late bloomers hope for all, all of, uh, you know, to look forward to things. And uh, so I thought I'd just go over and talk about, you know, who Robert Waller was and then set the scene for how I know Robert Waller and my little moment of interaction with Robert Waller. So who is Robert Waller? Robert Waller was born in Rockford, Iowa um, in 1939. And for the first 45 years of his life, he lived a fairly conventional life. I mean, he was a basketball star in the um, early 60s, um, went to the University of Northern Iowa, just sort of a typical Northeast Iowa kid, um, got a graduate degree from Indiana University, and then went back to University of Northern Iowa to teach and lived a fairly conventional academic life. There was a point at which he started to um, do some writing. And so I believe that was in like his late 70s, early 80s, where he really started to hone the craft of writing. At least that's when a lot of his published works comes out. So in the 1980s, Robert Waller um, is sort of a regional artist. He's the type of guy, he's a very well-established academic dean. Um, he's a professor of management at the University of Northern Iowa. Very logical, rigorous mind. But here's why I thought of Robert Waller as I was thinking about prepping for my show with Brad Lund this week is he encompassed so many different domains. He wasn't just a management professor. He was a writer. He loved music. He loved living a passionate life. And so in the 80s, he was a sort of an essayist. Um, I don't think he'd actually come out with any really novels to speak of. He was sort of an essayist. He'd get published in the register. He spoke at a lot of conferences. He did a lot of business work. 
um, but he's fairly well known regionally. And I want to share with you um, the book that he wrote, and I, I commend you guys to read this. It's a book of essays, and this is before Bridges came out. It's essentially One Road is Good Enough by Robert Waller. Um, it's, an, it's really an incredible book, and um, I hope you all get a chance to read it. All y'all can read it. The first essay, which I just love, and I actually found it cleaning out my parents' basement. So this is what you discover when you go home to decor and clean out your parents' basement. Books by Robert Waller. Here is Robert Waller. He's sort of an interesting looking guy. Um, and, I, and I say that as a compliment. I guess I'm a little bit interesting too. Um, he's an interesting guy. He's sort of androgynous. Um, so sub, and so basically this is the book that I, that I read and, I, and I'll share with you a key moment about Turning 50 that I absolutely loved. It's really, really good stuff. But I want to share a moment with you from when I was in high school and how I came across the work of Robert Waller. So I always have loved books. I've never been a total bibliophile. I've never really thought about a lot about the craft of writing. But I think it was my sophomore year in college when I was 16 years old. This would be 1991. So this would have been when the book was written, um, but it was not really out and um, it was, I think, completed at that time, but it had not been published. And so I had a high school um, English teacher named Mrs. Bosworth. And Mrs. Bosworth was a really good teacher. She clearly loved poetry. She loved books. And I really think she conveyed the love of literature that she had to students. Um, and I actually don't remember any books we read in that class, but I do remember a moment from my sophomore year in high school when she said to us, she walked in one day with the wildest smile you've ever seen. She was so happy. She said, you guys are gonna get the opportunity to meet Robert Waller. He is a writer, a really well-known writer. And he's just optioned a screenplay. And I think at that point, even then, Clint Eastwood was interested in the screenplay, but he had sold it. so. Evidently in the literary community, the people that loved writing, the people that loved books, the word was sort of out that they thought that this book was going to be a big book, but no one really knew for sure. So she shared this story with us and she said, Robert Waller is going to speak to all of you high school students and he is really cool. You remember this for the rest of your life. And I thought, yeah, whatever. I'm just thinking about basketball practice you know, having to read the latest Isaac Asimov book or getting to read it, and, you know, working out and thinking about girls and all that stuff. I didn't really care. Who cares about Robert Waller? So we all, so it wasn't just so we came to our class, like the dude, it was like the whole high school, like all of us. I'm like, holy shit, this guy must be huge. So I get there and I see this just sort of like, I wasn't sure whether he was a older woman or man, he, he had sort of a very androgynous look. And I thought, this is the guy that I'm supposed to be so impressed by, you know, how kids are, they're like, that guy, I'm supposed to be excited about him. And so we went into the gym and I thought, you know, kids, it's like, it's hard to really impress kids, right? Um, although I've always loved learning, so I've always been sort of a nerd. And we went in there and he started talking about the craft of writing. 
And I remember the, one of the things that he talked about that really struck me at the time, I love the Hawkeyes, and I still do. And for those of you who love the Hawks and the watch sports, and I still like to do that. It's good. It's good sort of brain candy. But he sort of wagged the finger a little bit at us all for doing that type of leisure. He called it passive leisure. And he said, the art of living is actively engaging with the world around you and making essentially the world your art studio, the birds, the sun, the music, photography. But the process of living is active leisure, not passive leisure, not letting someone else create your own reality, crafting your own reality. And I think that that's a really good philosophy of living. You know, you talk about job crafting, where starting where you are, figure out any variables that you can control, and then focus on those variables and see if you can improve your quality of life. And the things you can't control, don't spend a lot of energy on that. I'm offering a little stoicism here, people. This is Epictetus. Focus on what you can control. Don't worry about what you can't. So he started talking about it. And it was just, I think what, what really was the takeaway for me, and he didn't even really get into the bridges, because I think at that point, he was probably already under contract. I don't think he wanted to share too many details. But this was clearly someone who was in total alignment with who he was as a person. He knew what made him tick, and he listened to his inner voice. And I think so often as we grow up into adulthood, we, we sort of suppress that voice. We give up on that voice. And why do we do that? Because we're hurt, we get stressed, we're distracted. But he knows, and I think we all know deep in our heart, that that's where our true power lies, is, is our inner voice and being in alignment with that. And he was someone who clearly had mastered the art of living. He had clearly mastered the art of being who you really are because you only have so much time on the earth. And, you know, again, I don't know if it's because of my stoicism, but I see the, I, I see the stoics in a lot of the work of the great people that I admire. And I think that is a, um, it's a concept of your own impending death. And he talks about that a lot in this work, especially in turning 50. But he talks about where that power lies. And I thought I'd share a passage from this book. Uh, it's the very first essay that he wrote, which I think sort of means he thinks it's his best, which I love. And I love it because as he approached 50, you know, middle age, I think one of the reasons why it's so challenging for people, it's either where you give up and retreat or you advance and seize the time that you have left knowing that you've learned the art of living. Well, well, Robert Waller was clearly the best part of his work and his life and his craft was in his second stage of his life. Bridges came out when he was 53. The movie came out in 1995 when he was, um, when he was 56. So uh, he had mastered this. So listen to this passage when he talked about when you really figure out the art of living. And when you can get truly in alignment with who you are as a person, he said that he thinks that he has um, figured out how to execute the aspects of the quintessence of life. He said, how do you know when you've truly arrived there, when you actually get to know the school of life? He said, when you begin to master the school of life, the words begin to flow and the melodies take shape. The search for meaning does not end, but life starts to become meaningful, even as you seek to make it more that way. Others apparently got there earlier than I did. Many never do. 
And that's the great tragedy of our times and the failure of our civilization. For neither our religions, nor our schools, nor our informal social structures provide us with the tools to search diligently for meaning in this present life. This is so good. And then he says, how do you know you're getting there? He said, well, when things feel right, there is a sense of unification as if becoming a tapestry rather than a conglomeration of tangled threads and you are doing the weaving yourself almost effortlessly. Personally, I think the pursuit of trivia and rapacious material acquisition so time-honored by the society thwart that search and inhibit that weaving and that the arts are the prime vehicle for clarifying and accelerating the search. But that's a story for another time. So you can see why his work resonated with so many different people. And again, I think the critique that probably some academics have is that it's the dreaded, you know, if, you're, if you've ever read Bridges, it's pure emotions coming from the emotions that you actually feel. And when you feel those emotions, like you know, as Brene Brown comes, it's basically assessed embracing that vulnerability. But when you are vulnerable, you feel naked, you feel insecure. And so you can see why people don't like to go there. But if you've read the work, it's just, it's where you are in middle, middle age when he has the opportunity while he's taking pictures in the bridges of Madison County and he comes across the farm wife, Francesca. He finds someone that he truly loves. And he wonders about the loves that he, that he didn't meet or wasn't able to be with. And he thinks about the time that he has loved left wondering whether in his current existence he will find the true love and they know together they find unity they find experience and they share that treasured moment where they do connect but then ultimately they realize their responsibilities and their their their, their, their commitments that they've made and they balance those inner desires with where they are it's so powerful and it's pure emotion and I think that's why it resonated with people. I mean, think about all the people. This is very Marcus Aurelius here. Think about all the people that read that book at middle age, the age that I am now. We're no longer here. We're here for a moment. And he realized that. And he connected with that. And he sold almost 60 million books. And I think it was his connection to emotion in our inner, in our inner spirit that I think is so, so powerful. And I think that, you know, when I think about these, these choices that we make, Robert Waller, I think, was really inspiring to me because he did live his life raw and pure and simple, and he knew that his life wasn't going to be there forever. So I always get a kick out of people that are hyper self-aware, um, and when they think about the limited time that they have left, you sort of start thinking about the essence of the time that you have. And he does this so well. And he also talks about that, you know, given the fact that we're only around for so long, he talks about focusing only on the essential and not worrying about the unessential. And he said, today there's a problem with doing away with the clutter. And of course he's speaking metaphorically as well as, as, well as literally clutter is not good. Like composition of any kind, coming to grips with life requires a certain elegance of lifestyle not in the sense of being fancy, but rather a consideration of what can be discarded in favor of simplicity. 
I, pro I propose that there is an insidious plot to steal our time in the world we've created, and it's important to get as rid of as many encumbrances as possible, including lawn care and excessive housekeeping. The sign my wife posted long ago says it rather nicely. Today I cherish, tomorrow I dust. He even talks about being, this is sort of funny, he said even being a little antisocial helps. A friend of mine is fond of quoting something that I said a few years back about my reluctance to attend events of borderline value. You have fewer people at your funeral, but at least you get more reading time. And he calls them krakens out there gobbling your life. And it's crucial that they get spotted and nullified. Um, so this is what I love about him is that He's sort of at the same time, he is sort of a pretentious academic. I mean, he, you know, in other essays, he rails against the politicians that don't get it. He talks about nature and he laments Hawkeye football games. So he definitely has that sort of pure academic impracticality to him. But what I also love that he has is he always has, he, he's hard headed, but he's a business guy, right? So he's management, you know, probably had to wear a tie. Uh, taught econometrics, I believe, you know, statistical quantitative analysis, did a lot on decision-making and group processes. So he had that logos, but he also had that pathos, this passion for living, this, this ability to get in touch with his inner soul, this way that he looked at nature as a sanctuary where he could soak up the beauty and the wonder of life. And it's my belief that if you look at that story, it really is just him out on a Saturday morning. That's the bridges of Madison County taking photos. And those, those, these images just come from him. And I think when he talked about that, this, this term Francesca just sort of came to him while he was out there. And he called that sort of the pure magic of life. And, and so that I think is really one of the, the key things with Robert is that he is He's someone who sees the day, and he also was very conscious of the time that he had when he realized his own mortality. And he talked about this, which I think is amazingly, it almost gives me goose, goosebumps, because here comes full circle on the liberal arts and why it's so important. And we're going to explore this next week. And next week, when you listen to Brad, you're going to be blown away. I mean, this is a guy that knows physics, writing, music, dancer, and he is a weaver. He weaves all of these things into the thread of his own life. And we'll talk about the book range. We'll talk about all these really interesting ideas, but Robert Waller wove mathematics and business and art and poetry and music. You know, we live in this hyper-specialized age where this notion that we have to classify, well, these are just labels. What if, he talks about unification. I believe that. I believe there is no art. There is no music. There is no mathematics. There is only reality. And it's our, our ability to weave in all these different tapestries, connecting them to our soul. That is the important part of living a sustained and meaningful life. And he talked about that. We are, you know, our own death. And, and he died in 2017. So when you hear this sort of marvelous, poignant voice, lamenting his own demise, and now he's gone to the transcendent uh, aspects of eternity. It just gives me goosebumps. He says, in every June, I'm given over to marveling at the human capacity for handling the certainty of our own deaths, for writing our own obituaries, even as we live. 
that we can comprehend our own demise, that we can constantly whirl about in rabid frenzy at the thought and the part of our magic, a built-in mechanism for sanity of the most powerful kind, but the borders are there. They are stern and ineluctable, and I see them approaching. Clearly, I see them on those mornings as I stare at myself in the mirrors of Richmond. He was doing some consulting work when he talked about that, but it gets better. Here, Luther College people, we come back to the Odyssey, right? And he uses it. That's why you can't give that up. If, if, if Luther, if you give it up, then I'm going to leave it, lead an Odyssey class because I've gone on this big personal journey. We all do. And yet at some point, we all return home before we go into the great eternity of our fates. But he talks about these voices. He says, you know, they talk about that to basically toughen up. Yet there are these voices that speak to me along the rivers along the way with scolding words. They counter the momentary sag born of distant mirrors, mirrors and honest appraisal. Saddle up, Caballero. Stop sniffling. Sean Wayne impersonation. There is nothing... They are right, of course, when Odysseus cried. There is nothing worse for, for men than wandering. And he was correct in the metaphor, but wrong in the physically, physical reality. There are yaki drums and high plains arroyos and ships' engines north of Cairo have not yet heard. There are beaches where you can still run naked at dawn and visions within the yard of my house I have not seen through the lens of my, my Nikon. Oh, this is so good. This, this sort of reminds me of like River Runs Through. I almost think it's like in that genre where you're like looking back over your over your life. And then he says, the voices of the river remind me that neither chemists nor alchemists can save me. They can tell me it's all right to remember in Kipling's words, the night we stormed Valhalla a million years ago, that it's allow, allowable to sing sweet lamentations from the death of Blue Autumns, but not to dwell upon those entirely. For in the pleasant sorrow that comes from remembrance, time shifts in character. No longer an ally then, but a legendary bandit who will steal your woman and take your passion to ride the evening train. So the voices settle me, and I remember most of what I know that is good and true, lasting not from scholars, but from minstrels and gypsies, from magicians and magic, from jugglers swallowing fire. It has come from small bands of travelers who followed the rivers and told me old stories and chanted old warnings of young women dancing through late afternoons into the firelight, leaving only a footprint for the morning that follows. Listening closely then, I have heard that languor is not the price of serenity. I know there is more ahead of me than this an airline condo on the edge of a Scottsdale golf course. And if it's all right with everyone else, I think I'll skip, skip the midlife passage involving gold chains, horses, and sun chains. Instead, I'm lacing up my 12-year-old Red Wings, loading the cameras, putting new strings on the 57, Martin flat top, getting ready to go where the egrets fly. Like an old right around the surf, I can see the next wave coming. It looks fine and fair, and it looks worth the effort. So this is a man who sold 60 million books. And he did it through following his passion. He did it through living his purpose. He lived it through sharing his joy of life, living with others. And he lived it through raw vulnerability aligning his passion with his purpose and his soul, realizing that the time that he had left was limited and that each day mattered and that each moment was something to soak up, the cosmic wonder of serenity that we all have. And that, my friends, is what I call exuberant stoicism, 
the recognition of our death does not give us grief. It gives us happiness because we do realize it is finite and we do re realize it is an undeserved gift that we've all received that we don't deserve, but yet we have. And that the question of our life is not what, how long we shall live, but how we shall live with the time that we have. So we're going to explore all of these topics next week with Brad Lund and talk about just this interesting topic of the liberal arts, the classics. Where do they come? How, how practical should we be in education? What's the purpose of education? And so we're going to hope that the show is going to be useful for people that are, you know, that are thinking of going to liberal arts school, um, that are trying to guide their kids through liberal arts school, that are thinking about their various career paths. Um, and so we, we think it is going to be very helpful. And I think Robert Waller, for me, is a template of someone who did not view it as either or, um, that there's more to liberal arts than just pure vocation. Although, surprisingly enough, even though it doesn't seem practical, if you tell the story and you connect with other souls, you find yourself with unexpected abundance that you didn't think you would be able to achieve because you can connect with what people want and crave, which is meaning. And that is the search of the stories, the theater, the dance, is the search for meaning. And if you can tap into that, you find your true power. I hope you enjoyed this little solo episode of the Rockney Cast. We're going to continue to have more guests. I'm hoping to get some famous opera singers on my show. I'm hoping to do more um, episodes on fasting. I've now finished up the one year of fasting, and I'm going to get some blood work done and show you my results. I will be your guinea pig. So just sharing my results, you can do it or not. It doesn't work for everyone, but for me, it's totally changed my life. And so um, check out everything we do on rockandcold.com. We're in the process of updating it. We're still sort of at the early stages. This is still, this is the proto Rocky cast. We're still sort of figuring out the format, what we want to do. But we are going to be doing more, more shows on various topics. And really the, the poll star is to make it interesting and helpful for you. Because that's our goal is to share our sense of wonder with the world in a way that meaningfully impacts, improves, and makes your life more exuberant, more happy, more meaningful. That is the purpose of the Rockney Cast, my friends. Until next time on the Rockney Cast, thank you so much for tuning in, tuning in with much gratitude. Until next time on the Rockney Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Rockney Cast. I had so much fun putting this one on. Robert Waller is a hero of mine, and I think he sort of gets short trip. He's not just a writer of Schmaltz. He is an incredible individual who made a tremendous impact on my life. Thank you once again to Corey Grimm for Indigo, God, Indigo Eyes. He's the music that you hear right now. He's this episode of the Rocket Cast, and the best singer-songwriters in the state of Iowa, and also my brother-in-law. We'll continue to feature this book on this episode of the Rocket Cast. And next weekend, you are in for a treat. We're going to feature Brad Lund, a good friend of mine, who is an incredible actor, singer, songwriter, poet, contrarian thinker, philosopher. He's hilarious. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to explore the future of liberal arts through the eyes of his son and also share our own experiences with liberal arts education at Luther College in the mid-90s. In ways we think that maybe we could, you know, keep the liberal arts continuing to be relevant into the future. We're going to sort of have a lot of riff. We're going to have a lot of fun. And so we're looking forward to next episode of The Rocky Cast featuring Brad Lyons. I hope you all join us on the next episode of The Rocky Cast. <laughs>